Are you ready for some high adventure? Coming up next on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. The name's Dixon. Trixie Dixon, girl detective. They say that one often meets his destiny on the road he takes to avoid it. Or I assume that they say that anyway. The only place I've really heard that particular chestnut is on a small slip of paper at the heart of my fortune cookie from Jimmy Wong's. But it seemed a little too thoughtful to be an entirely original product of the cookie industry. It does, however, have the most important trait of the very best proverbs. It doesn't really mean much of anything in particular. And whatever you do, and whatever the result might happen to be, the cookie in question can look at you smugly and say, See? I told you so. Sometimes, though, even the most half-baked of Bon Mutts can seem eerily prophetic. And I suppose Jimmy Wong's cookie was due. The surly one and I had been working one of those cases that just seems to get away from you. It had started off as a little peeping Tom work on behalf of little Joe DeMarco, who had the usual 31 flavors of sneaking suspicion about his wife, Big Joe DeMarco. Before you ask, her name was Josephine, and she was a foot taller than her husband and built like a brick outhouse, as they say. But when the question, who watches the watchers, is answered by the phrase, disgruntled, dirty cops with no sense of humor, it's usually bad times for your local P.I., and so it was. I'm generally a fan of the beginning, the middle, and the end, usually in that order, if at all possible. But there are exceptions to every rule, and if finding old square jaw somewhere down the road he took to avoid his destiny means taking a few narrative liberties, then that's just the way it's going to have to be. What the... Lie still. Oh, oh. I did try to warn you. Yes. Yes, you did. There's more to this headache than hangover, isn't there? You've suffered some sort of head trauma. You may have a concussion. Lie still. This isn't a hospital. What makes you so sure? The ceiling's all wrong. I've woken up in enough of them to know. (laughs) I'm sure you have. I was doing something. What was I doing? When? Before I was wherever I am now. You don't want to know where that is? Just let me... One thing at a time. I got a bad feeling this is important. Twenty minutes ago, you were laying face down in a puddle outside my patio door. Does that seem important enough? My shoulder hurts. Yes, I imagine it would. Why does my shoulder hurt? Clinical diagnosis is not my forte, but I'd say it had something to do with that bullet you have in you. I've been shot. That is the standard procedure for implanting a bullet. I've been shot! We've established that. Greer. And now you've lost me again. You were so nearly making sense, too. Try and lay still. This is your home. Now don't you get any ideas. You're not up to any fresh stuff, and you're not my type. All right. First of all, it would take more than a single bullet and a sap to the back of the skull to put me on the bench where fresh stuff is concerned. Point the second, you're not really seeing me at my best. (laughs) Calm yourself, Romeo. And thirdly, that isn't really what I was after just now. But thank you for playing. We have some lovely consolation prizes for you backstage. Oh, boy. Nausea? No, thanks. I already got some. But only when I move at all or lie very, very still. You took a bad knock to the head. 
Tell the truth, I'm more worried about that than the bullet. I've got a pressure bandage on that, and it looks like a flesh wound. You're a nurse. Nothing gets past you, Mr. Justice. You're a nurse who's had time to rifle through my pockets. You're only guessing that because I was able to haul you inside, lift you up on the couch, and treat your gunshot wound. Yes, I'm a nurse. But it wasn't my idea to check your ID. Whose was it? The policeman, silly. What policeman? On the telephone. I found what appeared to be an armed, wounded thug on my patio. Who do you think I called? The Autobahn Society? Where am I exactly? You're in my sitting room. The street. The number. 42 Arlington. Arlington. Near Baxter and Logan. That's right. Which would make this the 8th Precinct. I'm sure I don't know. What are you doing? Uh, Hello. I must be going. Oh, Oh, no. I've told you, you have a concussion. You can't just stumble out of here. The policeman said he'd call an ambulance. He'd said he'd take care of everything. How long ago was that? Well, maybe 20 minutes. Hear any sirens yet? Well, no, but I explained that you didn't seem to be in any immediate danger. Oh, sister, you don't know how wrong you are. I'm in danger, and as long as I'm here, so are you. I don't think so. Excuse me. Nurse. I- I'm sorry, we haven't been properly introduced. Maxwell. Really? Uh, No, wait. I'm sorry? Maxwell. Dorothy Maxwell. Of course. It seems to me that I was carrying a pistol when I landed in the puddle on your patio. Unassuming little steel gray thing about yay big. Yes. I couldn't help but notice that I don't seem to have that pistol just now. You didn't expect me to leave it for you to... (sighs) Isn't it enough to bring you into my home and treat your wounds? You expect me to leave you armed? Is that it? You have hidden my gun, haven't you, Dorothy Maxwell? I have. You have hidden my gun. I seem to be unable to move under my own power, and you have called the wolves upon me. You are my angel of mercy, Dorothy Maxwell. Don't keep calling me that, Dorothy Maxwell. Too motherly? My mother didn't call me Dorothy Maxwell. Neither did mine. Look, if you won't give me my gun back, will you call me a cab? I've called you an ambulance. You've called me a hearse. And one for you, too. His and hers hearses. Try saying that ten times fast. What are you talking about? I'm a private detective. I know that. I'd berate you for snooping again, but I might choke on the irony. The 8th Precinct is the dirtiest in town. Everybody knows that. I don't know that. Then you're not from around here, Dorothy Maxwell. No, I'm not. And if you're a private detective who has been snooping on behalf of a certain husband... A certain husband whose certain wife has been performing certain activities far outside the comfortable confines of her home. The last thing in the world you want to find out is that her lover is a certain watch commander at the 8th named Greer. A very married watch commander who would not appreciate being caught al fresco with the wife of a small-time crook. In flagrante. What? In flagrante means red-handed. Well, more or less. Al fresco means outside. It really bothers me that this is what you chose to take issue with. I get that a lot. You should lie down. Are you listening to me at all? Not really. It seemed like the best way to go. You called the 8th Precinct. I called the police. Fine. You called the police and told them what exactly? That you found a wounded, unconscious man carrying a gun. Something like that. So why do you think you haven't heard any sirens yet? I told you. I said that you were in no immediate danger. So the ambulance driver stopped for a coffee, is that it? I don't know. There could be an emergency. There could be any number of reasons. The ambulance isn't coming, Dorothy Maxwell. Don't call me that. What should I call you? You can call me Dorothy if you like. Or Dot. All right, Dot. That's nice. Thank you. The ambulance isn't coming, Dot. Of course it is. No, it isn't. It isn't coming because he never called it. Why would he lie? Let me answer that question with a question. 
What would you do if you were a police commander who had just put a bullet into a particular nosy Parker who may or may not be carrying a camera with pictures of you and your small-time crook mistress? You took pictures of them? Let's not get into my unfortunate career choices just now. What kind of person? The soon-to-be-dead kind, Dot. To return to my question, what would you do? You know you didn't kill him, but you have to find him before anyone else does. You're a dirty cop, and you know exactly who else is, too. What would you do? I might call the precinct to make sure that... Oh, dear. If by oh, dear, you mean you might make sure that the duty sergeant and one or two well-placed others knew who you were looking for, and that if a call should come in about a ne'er-do-well with a bullet wound, they should find out if it was me and give Greer the tip-off, then that's more or less it, yeah. Nobody else. No ambulance, no prowl car, Greer, and maybe a couple of his boys... Why would the police go along with this? They wouldn't even ask why. They're dirty. How can you be sure? We don't have time for this, Dot. If they get here before I leave, they'll kill me, and they'll probably kill you, too. Why would they kill me? Maybe it looks like a lover's quarrel. A lup? I told you, you're not my type. That's a shame, because you're certainly mine. I don't think... What's that? You're beautiful, you're brave, you're a complete pain in the neck, and you're trying very hard to get me killed. If I could stand without retching, I'd take you dancing. That is the worst pickup line I've ever heard. All truth. From my scrambled brain to God's ear. It doesn't matter. I have to go. Too late. Maybe it isn't them. It's two in the morning. It isn't the paper boy. Get my gun. I don't think Get that. my gun! Answer them. What? While you get the gun, answer them before they break down the door. Just a minute. Here. It feels light. Why does it feel light? Oh, dear. You've taken my bullets out, haven't you, Dorothy Maxwell? Don't call me that! You know about guns? Not much. Too much. Get them. Too late. Okay, first of all, you should really lock your front door. You! Shut up! Get in here! Who is this? Who are you? Shut up, both of you. You know what I've been going through for the last two hours? I've been palling around with Freddy the Finger. That's how sure I was you were as good as dead. Freddy the Finger? Listening for any news of you on his police band radio as we drive around in that heap of his with its own very special aroma of cigars and defeat. Who are you? Meanwhile, all I had to do was find you in the open, unlocked front door of the only house in a ten-block radius that has the lights on. Are you really exactly this stupid, or are you trying to make time with the brunette? Because I'm telling you right now, you don't have a chance. So she keeps telling me. Dot, this is my partner, Miss Dixon. Partner? Trixie, this is Dorothy Maxwell, but don't call her that. Dorothy is a nurse, a divorcee, and not from around here, probably in that order. How did you... You introduced yourself with a name you don't like being called. You don't mind being Dorothy, but your mother didn't call you Dorothy Maxwell. My guess is it's pretty recent, and you moved here from somewhere at least two hours out of town. Somewhere they don't lock their doors, they do help strangers, and a woman would describe being able to unload an automatic as knowing not much about guns. That's amazing. This is kind of what I do. When you aren't taking dirty pictures. Sometimes at the same time, but rarely on the first date. Can I say something? Go ahead. Shut up, the pair of you! We've got to get out of here, and we've got to do it now. Help me. What's wrong with you? He has a concussion. Sweetheart, brain damage has never slowed him down before. Listen, Freddy heard some chatter on the squawk box. Some drivel he pretends to understand as code. He says Greer has the word out for some of his boys to meet him right here where I'm standing. When they get here, it goes down. So let's make with the exit, please. Dorothy, thank you for your hospitality. Whoa. What is it? Did I mention the concussion? To either of you? He can't walk? He can't stand. I can make it to Freddy's car. Freddy's gone. He was sweating bullets. I sent him for the cavalry. Sabian? Never get here in time. And no one else would take Freddy's word for it against another cop, even one from the 8th. 
Better call a taxi. Ah, swell. This is going to be close. Listen to me, Jack. Did you ever bring me my bullets? No. You better do that, Angel. Maybe you can load it for me. I don't think I can hold the clip steady. If you couldn't hold the clip steady, what are you going to do with that gun? Make a lot of noise and feel like a big man. Oh, good. Well, at least there's a plan. I'll be right back. Listen, we have a problem. Just one? Will you look at me, please, you drooling schoolboy? Take it easy. What's the trouble? I don't want to alarm your lady friend, but the telephone is dead. The telephone is what? Dead. Very dead. Might not be the only one. You are listening to Blackjack Justice from DecoderRingTheater.com. The name's Justice. Jack Justice. If you have been following this ribald little yarn thus far, you will know that I took a pretty serious crack to the head a few hours ago at the hands of Roy Greer and the 8th Precinct Greers. Something akin to automatic pilot must have cut in shortly thereafter, as I was able to get far enough away from the then-pantless Mr. Greer to take a pistol round in the shoulder instead of the brain. Small triumphs aside, it had not been a banner night, except for the unexpected entrance into our story of one Dorothy Don't Call Me Maxwell. She had, for all her protestations, probably saved my life before she inadvertently put it in jeopardy again with her ill-advised call to the 8th, so that all came out in the wash. What were you left with? Not a lot. I was too under the weather for any real quality banter. She was of average height, brown hair, brown eyes. There was nothing about her that suggested she was a practiced liar, which I tended to be a sucker for. Neither was she a helpless little doe of a girl, which also tended to bring out the worst in Jack Justice, knight in hard-boiled armor. But as the walls of her little house seemed to draw close about us, waiting within for the inevitable strike from the forces of darkness, I couldn't help but notice that all power of my enfeebled brain seemed to be bent on the task of keeping her safe. Tall order for a man that couldn't stand without losing his lunch. Or whatever you lose at two in the morning. I don't like to think about it. We could make a run for it. I admit it might put a crimp in the lover's quarrel angle if there were three of us and we were all shot in the back, but this is nothing they can't work around. If you ever... Even in fun, apply the words lover's quarrel to the two of us again, I will strike you down with such force that you will, quite simply, be dead. Duly noted. So what do we do? We have to get help. This isn't an English country mansion, Sweet Pea. If they've cut the phone, they're right outside. What are they waiting for? Backup. Cops like backup, even the dirty ones. When they get numbers, they'll move. My guess is three. So why did they cut the phone? Somebody must be tardy, and they didn't want the good lady inside to get anxious over the lack of an ambulance and start making calls. That's it. Hallelujah. What's it? Greer didn't talk to Dot himself. And he doesn't know you by sight, does he, Trixie? Not that I know. You tangled with him on the Moretti job, and that's back when you worked a solo. So if we togged you up like the sleepy Samaritan, he'd be none the wiser. I think I hate this plan. So what do I do? Hide in the basement. In the darkest spot you can find. What? And if it all goes wrong, go downtown to Central Homicide and find Lieutenant Victor Sabian. I'd hate to see my killer get a citation for shooting me. This is your entire plan? It could work. A bushwhack. They're expecting him to be out cold and you to be helpless. I could get the drop on him. We start shooting cops. We'll dig a hole so deep they'll never even find us. Yeah, but if we can hold out till Sabian gets here, assuming Freddy got to him... It's a terrible plan, isn't it? It really is. Let's do it. Do you have a big house coat somewhere? What? Oh, yes. Through there. You'll you'll find through there. Swell. Give me a minute to frump up. You may not have a minute. You may have to rely on nature. Drop dead, ape. Jack, listen to me. You can't do this. You can hardly see straight, and tough talk isn't going to help you in a firefight. What's your name? What? It wasn't Maxwell. That was his name, and you don't much care for it anymore. It's 
Evans. Dorothy Evans. Thanks. I'd have hated to never know. Jack, please. Get to the basement. We don't have time. None of this is your fault. I'm sorry I brought this to your door. I won't leave you. You have to. You're my patient. Do all of your patients fall in love with you, Dorothy Evans? What? I know it's probably the concussion talking. Normally I'd grunt something noncommittal and watch you walk away. But there's something in your eyes. It's sad, but not broken. Lost, but still hopeful. You remind me of a place I used to call home that doesn't exist anymore. And in the unlikely event that I survive the next hour or so, I would quite like to see you socially. At least until it becomes obvious to you that I was much more charming with head trauma. Jack, I... What in screaming blue heck is going on here? Get in the basement, woman! Saved by the bell. Keep your head down and your mouth shut and you might just live through this. You sure know how to kill a moment, you know that? Oh, is that what that was? I told you, you don't have a chance. You're probably right. You mean like I was right when I said, holy cats, Mrs. DeMarco is having it out with Roy Greer? Let's drop this case like a hot rock? You need to let this go. Swell. Get comfy. You're supposed to be out cold. Can you see well enough to shoot? Depends. There's three of you, right? Just duck and cover, all right? If you come up at the right time and point that cannon reasonably straight, we might just get away with this one. How much longer do you think they'll wait? You got someplace else to be? I just want to get this over with. Be careful what you wish for, my friends. It's a lesson I have been taught time and time again and never quite seem to learn. I hurriedly bundled myself back onto the sofa, trying to look as much as possible like I was hovering near death's door, which, for the moment, didn't seem all that much of a stretch. Through fluttering eyelashes, I could just see Trixie make for the door, clutching her borrowed housecoat at the neckline the way some ladies of far greater modesty than the girl detective are sometimes wont to do. This could work. If there were only three of them, and Trixie played her part convincingly enough... They might all be careless enough to walk right past her in the haste to make sure of me. Trixie reached for the door, trying for all the world to look like Florence Nightingale in a fuzzy pink bathrobe. The door opened and her face seemed to freeze before either she or the man at the door could say a word. I went momentarily crazy trying to guess what was going on. Then, without a word, Trixie raised her hands and I could see an arm extended into the room and feel for the Beretta hidden in the deep pockets of the housecoat. She turned back into the room with an expression of mild disgust and walked towards my point of repose as three uniformed cops sauntered in behind her. Up and at him, Sleeping Beauty. So this plan went well. It really did. Jack, you remember Mike Krasowski? Not in the least. Which one is he? The least ugly one. We went on a couple of dates before I figured out he was on the take. And then a few more before I decided that I cared. Never occurred to me he might be one of Greer's boys. Just lucky, I guess. I don't pay that much attention to the revolving door of local thugs that you date. That's probably true, but you still shouldn't say it. He's standing right here. Seems to be the strong, silent type. Maybe he's just waiting to get a word in edgewise. Ah, Lieutenant Greer. I see you're back in uniform. Nice to see you're feeling cute, Justice. Keep still. Still lugging around this old forty-five, are you? I'll have that. I didn't think you were stupid enough to cross me again. You were just an unpleasant bonus in my otherwise deeply unpleasant day. Your mistress's mister paid us to find out if her extracurricular activities extended beyond needlepoint. Needlepoint? I was being colorful. You always did love the sound of your own voice. Look, Greer, the camera is in his coat pocket. Just take the film and be on your way. Just like that? Just like that. What am I supposed to do, stroll into the 8th and file a complaint? You don't think it's already gone a little far to pretend this never happened? Besides, I let you walk this time. What's to stop you from keeping after Josie until you get the goods? You could keep your goods in your pants for a while. If you knew me better, Legs, you'd know that isn't true. Besides, I know this one of old. He'd never walk away. For the sake of thirty dollars, he'd hound me to the end of the earth just to say he did. You still sniff around the Moretti case, don't you, big man? 
How many years has he been dead now? He was a client. Just like little Joe DeMarco. They don't deserve such loyalty. It's not a subject you're much of an authority on. Get your hats. No point doing this here. Where's the frail? The what? Bobby said a woman called. She found you on the porch and patched you up. Such a waste of time. Where is she? Ah, it's like that, is it? These bungalows, they don't hide much. Mike, check the bedroom and the bath. Terry, take the basement. Leave the girl out of this, Greer. Or what? So help me, I'll kill you with my bare hands. Oh, it's like that, is it? I'm gonna enjoy this. What was that? I didn't hear a thing. It came from downstairs. Mike! Check on Terry now. What do you think? Shovel? Too much ring. Coal scuttle. Ah, of course. What are you two babbling about? Just guessing what Jack's nurse bashed Terry's head in with. Well, she's had it now. Maybe not. She had Terry's gun. Mike? Mike! I never met a dirty cop that wasn't a screaming, hysterical little girl at heart. Terry! Mike! What the blazes is going on? And it was in his hysteria that Roy Greer made his way over to the door that led down to the basement. Slowly. Like a man feeling his way through the dark towards something that he doesn't want to find. He reached the top of the stairs and called again. At that moment, his foot creaked against the loose board at the top of the stairs, giving his precise location away to one who knew the house well and three shots rang out, ripping through the paper-thin floorboards from the basement below into Greer's feet and legs. He screamed, pitched forward, and rolled down the stairs on his face. We heard him land like a sack full of oatmeal and bricks. I have failed you in the role of narrator to this chronicle, my friends, for there are no words that can describe my elation as Dorothy Evans, nay Maxwell, nay Evans, emerged from the basement with fire in her eyes. And if I thought that was good... It was nothing to when she strode across the room, coal scuttle and pistol still in hand, and kissed me, hard and with a desperate longing born of having feared that one would never feel like this again, a night terror I know all too well. Thought I wasn't your type. I'm a dirty liar. Hello, nurse. Well, it was right about there that I lost any and all interest in the A-plot and wandered downstairs to cuff the wounded. In the interests of denouement, I should mention that Sabian arrived 22 minutes later in something of a lather, with two officers from Internal Affairs in tow. They'd wanted to break the 8th for a long time, and it had all started that night. Between the pictures, Dorothy Maxwell's statement, and the general carnage downstairs, there was no way for Greer to dance his way out of this one, and he took a lot of his fellows down with him when he went. It was something of a personal triumph for Sabian. Nobody hates a dirty cop more than a clean one. But his pleasure was muted somewhat at the sight of old Squarejaw's dopey schoolboy grin. See, Jack had met his destiny on the road he had taken to avoid it, all right. They say that journeys end at lovers' meetings. And maybe, just maybe, Jack's journey ended that night on a patch of rain-slicked concrete with a bullet hole in him. And somehow, it ended up being a happy ending anyway. Go figure that one, kids, because I sure can't. Blackjack Justice, Episode 37, Journey's End, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons with additional voices supplied by Julie Florio and Eric Fournier. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure.
Buongiorno. I am Flaudio, and I am very interested in what makes audio drama work. I want to share with you my recipe for a perfect evening. An evening for two lovers. Lovers of audio drama. When I plan an audio drama, I want to make sure that everything is perfect for us. The soundscape is the most important thing to set the mood for the night. When I lay in a special ambiance or sound effect, it is very important because it can express what I feel so perfectly. A sound effect can speak for the story when words just cannot capture the love I feel. Love I feel for you. When it is dark, I turn on the sound effects. I turn up the soundscape. And the voices can then dance in a perfect state of bliss, where there is no world except the one we make with our love. No time except what is needed for our story to play out. A story that we will make come true. This audio drama public service announcement was brought to you by the Amigos.